As we come this morning to our sermon text, we are in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And as I was preparing this, I realized I could have called this the same name of last week's sermon on Romans 7, The Normal Christian Life. This could be The Normal Christian Life, part 2. But as we see here in this opening verse, no condemnation in Christ, we realize that that is what the Christian life is all about, not being condemned for our sins. So let us listen to what God's Word has for us this morning. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 11. Paul writes these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, indeed, we come before you now and ask that you would attend to the proclamation of your word so that your spirit might breathe life into those who have it not so they might be forgiven of their sins. And for those that are your children, we ask that you would strengthen us and build us up and edify us and remind us once again of the grace of the gospel, how you have made us your children, adopted into your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week in Romans 7, if you were here, we saw that Paul explained there is a real struggle in the soul of every believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in, in chapter 7, verse 19, 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And we hear that even as Christians and say, yeah, Paul, that is exactly how life is. If you are a Christian, you have a desire, a deep desire to obey God, to do his law. But as Paul says, there is this law of sin that is within each person. That is their old fleshly nature, he calls it, who we are of Adam, sinners by nature. And because of that, that old nature wars against the new nature of the spirit that God has given us as we are remade by God through the work of his spirits in Christ. And so Romans 7 is about the reality of that conflict, that struggle for the believer. And if all we had was Romans 7, we might be tempted to think then, well, what's the point of the gospel If sin is still a problem and the consequences of sin is death, why, and and I still struggle with it, what's the point of believing? I mean, if life is just one ongoing conflict between my flesh and the spirit, is there no deliverance then from sin? Well, we ought to answer that question with Paul's favorite response, by no means, because there's Romans 8. See, Romans 7 tells the story of the conflict we experience as Christians because of our sin, waging war against the Spirit. But Romans 8 explains the real victory that already exists for you if you are united to Christ in faith. We need Romans 8 because we live in the world of Romans 7. To be accused and condemned is no doubt one of the most hopeless situations a person on this earth could face And when we as believers sin, we feel our sin accusing us. We hear its voice mocking us. It whispers in our ear that we are failures, that we have yet again broken God's holy law, and we stand condemned. But Romans 8 says, no, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. In fact, what has been condemned is your sin. No condemnation. There are no greater words of comfort and encouragement that I can think of to the, for those who are united in Christ. No condemnation is the present real reality for all of us who are united to Jesus by faith through the grace of God. But these words in verse 1 are not just comforting words. They speak of something that has actually happened, something that has radically shifted in your life and in the world. No condemnation is the very reversal of that old curse which has darkened the world since humanity's fall into sin. And it changes. It changes absolutely everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. It changes how we react to the sin and the evil and the suffering we see in the world and in our own lives lives. It changes how you see yourself, how you see your problems and your struggles. Notice Paul says, there is now, presently, no condemnation. The gospel, again, is not just a future hope. It's something that affects us in the immediate. It changes everything in this very moment. We live in the age of Christ's victory over sin and death, inaugurated by the Spirit who dwells within us. And so what does no condemnation really mean? Well, there are three things we see in these opening verses of Romans 8 
tell us what no condemnation means for you if you are a believer of Jesus Christ. It says no condemnation. It's the first one. No condemnation means you live life in freedom rather than in fear. And the reason for that is that no condemnation means you have a new relationship with God's law. So verse 2, Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, it may not be readily apparent, but Paul is not speaking of two different laws here. He's actually speaking of one, the law of God as revealed in Scripture. But he's speaking of two different ways of relating to that law. And the first way is the way of fear. And last week in Romans 7, we saw that Paul used marriage as an illustration of this way of fear. It is when the law is used as a covenant, a way of relating to God through his law. And as a covenant, the law holds out a promise of life, of eternal life. But you can only obtain that promise because law is a covenant if you perpetually, personally, and perfectly keep every part of it. Because that's what the law demands. Absolute perfection. Absolute holiness. Perfect obedience. And if you fail, because it's a covenant agreement, if you fail in even the smallest part, then you don't receive that promise of life. Instead, you receive the opposite. You receive the curse, which is death. And death is that one thing that as humans, we fear the most. Now, the thing is, by nature, all people born into this world are born under the law as a covenant over them. The scriptures show us that if we are born in Adam, the law is that covenant. That is what is required of us by God. And it becomes a frantic and fearful way of life. Because no matter what you do, you know it's never good enough. You never measure up to that absolute standard. You see, you cannot master a moral code. It masters you. It rules over you. It condemns you. But Paul says, in Christ, there's no condemnation. And in Christ, then, you have a new way of relating to the law of God. No longer does it become a curse to you, but it becomes life. It becomes the way of freedom. And here's why. Verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of the flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's the second relationship to the law. It's relating to the law through the grace of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And this is freedom. It is glorious freedom because the law has already been fulfilled in us through Christ. There is now no longer fear of failing it. Because united to Jesus, it's already been fulfilled. God sent 
Jesus, the pre-existent Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, as Paul, that is to say, Jesus came um, like flesh, but not as sinful flesh. So he's fully human. He had all the traits that make him a human, but with one major distinction, he was without sin. He was perfectly holy. And because of that, Jesus could fulfill those righteous requirements of the law in our behalf, in our stead. He could do what the law couldn't do because of our flesh. That is to say, our sin. He could perfectly and perpetually and personally fulfill it for all believers. And he did this in two ways. First, through his act of obedience. That means he actually kept every commandment of God as recorded in his word. He did it perfectly. He kept the law as a covenant for us in our stead. Secondly, Jesus fulfilled the law passively. We call that the passive obedience of Jesus. And that means that he suffered the penalty of our law-breaking. What we deserved, our condemnation, that should have been ours, he suffered that. He was condemned in our place. But through that, Paul says, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned the very thing that condemns us, our sin that separates us from God. And because of that, now in Christ, if you are united to him through faith alone, you are free from relating to the law of God in a way that condemns you to death. Instead, you now relate to it, as Paul says here, as the law of the spirit of life. It is the very Spirit of God who frees us to follow God's law without fear of condemnation. And so, the one thing that causes us so much anxiety and fear in life has been answered. You see, we like to think, or what we, we, we want, to be successful in everything we do. And actually, that causes a lot of fear and anxiety, doesn't it? We want to be perfectly successful, and that fear has a way of controlling us. Fear that we might fail, fear that we can't do that. It throws our hearts into doubt, into worry and discouragement to the point that you can't even enjoy this life that God gives you in this world. And so you fear that I can't be a perfect parent. My kids may go astray You can't be perfect in your job, and so you fear that you might be terminated. You might not earn what you need to live. You fear that you can't be a perfect student and what might happen if you fail in assignments. You feel that you cannot be a perfect husband or wife or child or parent and what that might happen to your relationship. Because you think that you have to be perfectly successful. Now think about our relationship to God. If we have to be perfectly successful in order to know God, the God of heaven, the God who's created all things, what kind of fear does that bring? It ought to bring great fear because to trespass the law of a holy God is certain eternal Death. The law is so good and so perfect and so holy that we know that we will fail. It will bring condemnation. That's why the law as a covenant is a thing to be feared. 
because the cost of failure is so high, it is condemnation leading to death. But when you are in Jesus, you are freed from all of that. You are freed from this heart of fear because you are not condemned. Notice Paul doesn't say here, there's no accusation against you if you're a Christian. Because there is plenty that actually accuses you. The law of God does say, yeah, you failed. You sinned. You broke God's law. You haven't kept it perfectly. Notice also, Paul doesn't say, well, there's nothing in you that deserves condemnation. The reality is, yes, there is plenty in us that deserves God's just condemnation. But what he does say is that there is no condemnation, even though it's deserved. In Christ, that accusation against you is answered fully. In Christ, the indictment is fully satisfied. The the law of the spirit of life in Christ frees you from the law of sin and death, says Paul. And so the Christian life then isn't one about trying to be perfectly successful. That isn't the goal at all. It's simply A goal of faithfulness. Faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Because it is in faithfulness where we find this freedom of grace. It is in faithfulness to Christ where we trust Him with our sinful failures and find forgiveness. It is in faithfulness that we pursue the good and the right of God's law because we don't fear condemnation since it's already been canceled. No condemnation means you can live in freedom, the freedom of God's law, rather than in fear of it. For Christ has set you free. Secondly, no condemnation means you think about the eternal rather than just the temporary. In Christ, you have been given a new mindset, a new frame of mind, a new way of understanding the world and everything that happens in it. Notice in verses 5 and 7, how many times Paul speaks of the mind. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit of life is peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So five times in three verses, he mentions the mind. The way a person thinks, the way they respond to situations in life, it's very much a worldview that he has in mind here, a framework of seeing and trying to make sense of everything that happens. Paul is saying here that those who are in Christ think about the world differently than their counterparts in the unbelieving world. Those who live according to the flesh are setting their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live in the spirit, he says, set their minds on the things of the spirit. One side, the side of the spirit, sees the big eternal picture of God at work in this world. From the beginning of time to the present and on into the future. It knows that God has a plan and a purpose. He is redeeming. He is restoring all things to himself. But the mind of the flesh only sees things in the temporal plane. 
And it's a very limited way of seeing the world. As a Christian, we see the world through the unlimited power of God. Because a limited view of the world is such a hopeless one. I mean, ultimately, it does remove God from what is happening in the world. And when you do that, you are left simply with yourself to solve a problem that is too big for you to solve as a creature. You can't do it. You can't fix all the evil and sin and suffering in the world. In fact, humanity has been trying to do that themselves from the beginning of time. And we've only succeeded to make things worse. Because the end of this mind of flesh, as Paul says, is death. What we view, or when we view the world, only through these eyes, these natural eyes of the flesh, the world becomes very us-focused. It becomes very selfish. And that affects everything we do, the decisions we make, the way we try to sort out problems, the very way we live our life, our careers, our relationship, our marriages, our politics, our sense of who we are, why we exist, what our purpose is in this world. All of that is affected by the mind that we have. And so with a mind of flesh, with a selfish mind, a mind focused on myself, it's going to become a hostile one, one that is hostile towards God, which in turn will be reflected in hostility towards fellow man. As Paul says in Romans 8, 7 and 8, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. A mind that is set on the things of the flesh cannot, indeed it even refuses to see the hand of God at work in this world. It's filled with bitterness and hatred towards God and His truth. And the horrible thing about that is that it means that God actually is just in condemning you if that is the mind you take. So Paul says... The mind that is set on the flesh is death. It is condemnation. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. Death has ended. In Christ, you have a new mind, a new way of seeing the world and understanding it, a new way that is through the Spirit of God. Those that are in the Spirit, as Paul says, have the mind set on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? Jesus tells us in John 16, He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He's speaking to His disciples, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He speaks, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will... Take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see three things there. One, the Spirit guides in all truth. Two, He will declare the things that are to come, particularly pertaining to Christ. And three, He will glorify Christ. He will declare Christ's truth to you. And what that kind of mindset is, is one that really does change the way you see this world and how you see yourself, and how you understand sin and evil and suffering. 
And as Paul says, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. It's life and peace because it sees that God truly is in control of all things. So even suffering and pain and evil must bow to the eternal purposes of God. All this will end so that all might be restored to the life and peace of enjoying God's presence forever. And consider then how that changes the way you even approach the little things you do in life. Your job now becomes more about than just making sales or crunching numbers or building cars or whatever you do. It now becomes a means to reflect the glory of God to your neighbors in this world to show forth the life of the kingdom of Christ. Raising your kids transforms into something that is big and internal. You're discipling them as citizens of God's everlasting kingdom. And a sunrise just isn't a way to mark the start of each new day, but you see it as a perfectly synchronized design of God, your creator, providing you with warmth and light and beauty. It points to his provision and his care over you. Seeing things through the Spirit of God opens up the world to what God wants it to be, a reflection of His grace, of His might, of His power, of all that He is. And the mind that is set on the Spirit, on the things of the Spirit, knows that even these little things are not just little things, but carefully placed notes in the symphony of God's great design. That kind of mind is one that isn't lonely. It isn't filled with self. It isn't selfish, but exists in a community created to know and enjoy God forever, his people, his church. And what about all that evil and injustice we see in the world? Well, we know that that's not the end for those things will end and the fullness of God's redemption will break forth and be realized at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that really is a mind of peace because all the war, abuse and sickness and death isn't here forever. It's only temporal. It's only but a moment. And one day it will end because there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So no condemnation means you think about the eternal rather than the temporary. It means you live in freedom rather than fear. And finally, no condemnation means you have an advocate who stands before God for you. It's one thing to see and to hear the good news that in Christ there is now no condemnation, but it is another thing to be absolutely assured of it. And that is a real struggle for us as Christians because we are so tempted to doubt, to doubt that we actually are part of God's redeemed, especially when we look into our own hearts, just as Paul did in Romans 7. And he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? But we need to notice how Paul talks about flesh here in Romans 8 and think back to how he he talked about it in Romans 7. Because back in Romans 7, when we saw last week, Paul said, I am of the flesh. But here in Romans 8, particularly verse 9, notice what he says. He says, you are not in the flesh. 
but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You see, it's the difference is that preposition. Everybody is of the flesh. That's because you are descended from Adam. You are a human. And since Adam sold all humanity under sin, you still sin. You still break God's law. We are all of the flesh. We are all human. But Paul says here to believers, those who are united to Christ by faith, he says, you are not in the flesh. You are not in Adam. Either you are in the Spirit. There is no condemnation to you because you don't belong to the condemned kingdom of Adam. You belong to the kingdom of Christ. That is where you are, where you dwell. And the way that you know that you belong to Christ's kingdom is not just because God says it in His Word, but because He places His very Spirit within you. Paul says that the Spirit of God dwells like a house dwells in you. Think about that. The God who formed the worlds with just His Word dwells in you. The Holy Spirit of God that dwelt in the temple in great glory and the holiest of holies and only the high priest could see and enter that place but once a year, that Holy Spirit of God dwells within you if you are a believer. That Holy Spirit of God, as we see in a moment here, raised Christ from the dead. That Spirit dwells within you. See, it's one thing to belong to a new kingdom, to be part of it, but it's entirely another if the king of that kingdom takes up residence in your heart and makes it his throne. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's the life of every believer. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. You cannot get any more intimate than that. And it guarantees for you, it guarantees for you that you are not condemned for your sin because God's not going to dwell in the place of sin. You've been not been condemned. It's been removed. So Paul writes in verses 10 and 11, If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So yes, the body is dead because of sin. That's the of Adam part of us. But although the body is dead and it does die because of sin, the Spirit dwells within us is life. The Spirit produces the righteousness that we need so that we are not condemned for our sin. Oh, we will still die because of our sin, but we have real hope of resurrection for that very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body, says Paul. That's no condemnation. Remember, there's a connection between condemnation and death. Death is the penalty for sin. That's the condemnation. You are condemned to die. 
But when the Spirit dwells with you, you are guaranteed to raise to new life. Now, sometimes, even as Christians, we certainly can feel dead. We can feel condemned. We can look at our lives as believers and focus on that of Adam part of us and get very discouraged. And when you do that, you start counting all your sins, don't you? Each sin is like a new piece of evidence in the case against you. And you see it there saying, condemned, condemned, sinner, condemned. And you hear that echo and it sounds like there's no tomorrow for you. There's only death because that's what it means to be condemned. You've uh, transgressed heaven's high law and you feel so lost and so forsaken. But then from the other side of the courtroom rises up an advocate, the Holy Spirit of God. And he points you and directs your gaze to the cross of Jesus Christ. And there you see all those sins that you've been counted, every single indictment against you, every accusation placed into those bleeding hands of the Savior. And they are washed away. And the judge, seeing that the penalty has been paid, doesn't say to you, yes, you're condemned in agreement with the evidence. But he says, you are justified. You are right in my sight because of what the Savior has done. That's what the Holy Spirit as an advocate dwelling within you does. He preaches that to you. So even when your own feelings and your own heart condemns you, you see, our hearts lie to us all the time. Jeremiah tells us they're deceitful. Even when your heart tells you that, if you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what your heart says. It matters what the Spirit of God says. And what He says is that you are not condemned if you are in Christ. So in Jesus, you are free to live without fear. In Jesus, you have a new mind that sees the unlimited power of God rather than the temporal, weak limits of humanity. In Jesus, you have an advocate that declares to you that the judge of all the earth has forgiven you because now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the goodness of the gospel and how we need to hear it often and be reminded that in Jesus, we are not condemned. You have made all things new from our mind to our way we understand and relate to your law. Oh God, you have given us a new life. And so we praise you for this and ask that your spirit would continue to strengthen us and remind us through your word who we are so that we might truly glorify you before the world that is in so desperate need of knowing this new life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.